You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Hi again. Thank you, Martina. Would you say hi, Mike? Thank you very much. It just cheers me up no end when you call me by my name. I really, really like that. Really like that. You know, last Sunday morning, I was speaking here on 15, yeah, last Sunday morning. And just for the record, sorry, just to be clear, Tom's on holiday with Denise. He's, he's away this week, just in case you're wondering, is he at home having a fag or watching the rugby or something on the telly? He's not. He's away. He's got some annual leave left and he's using it up wisely. And we pray God's blessing of rest and refreshment and inspiration upon them as they, as they rest and do that. Last Sunday morning, um, by the way, does anybody know who won the match today? Uh, who won? Ireland won, did they? What was the score? Nobody knows. You see, this is how committed these Christians are. They don't care about rugby. They don't care about soccer or World Cups. They're only on fire for Jesus. Would anyone say amen? That's all we've got going on. Scratch that I even asked the question, how could I dare? Anyway, I was talking last week about taking faith risks and about how Rahab took an enormous risk with her life and with her family's life and with her situation to side with the Israelites and she took a huge risk of faith and it paid off in spades and paid off down the generations and her experience was just incredible. It was just an amazing experience what she went through. And I was talking about our lives and, you know, sometimes the risks that we take are not so incredible and not so amazing and not so, not, not so profound. The risks that we take can be a lot smaller, but the payoffs can still be just as big in our lives. Can I just say as well, good morning to you down in Cafe Church. I hope you're able to see me better on our new camera. We've got a new camera to look after the people in Cafe Church. We love Cafe Church. Anyway. What? 24-3. I thought that was like an aspect ratio or something you were telling me about. Is that Matthew 24.3 she's trying to say? Thank you, Isla, for bringing us back to the scripture, sister. If you're from Scotland out there, sorry for your troubles this morning. Anyway, I want to look this morning. I want to look this morning. Thank you, Isla, for bringing us crashing back to reality. God bless you. I really appreciate it. I want to look this morning at a different passage of scripture that involved another different kind of a risk. A risk that you might consider to be a little bit closer to home than the huge risk that Rahab took. But these people took a bit of a risk as well. And I want to look at what they did this morning. I'm going to be looking at, um, the message this morning is called Through the Roof. And Through the Roof is taken from Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 2 to 12. Now many of you will know this story. It's a story about how Jesus was speaking in Capernaum, in the ho- effectively in the hometown of Peter, and almost certainly in Peter's house. Most commentators seem to think that when he was speaking, he was probably speaking in Peter's house. And something interesting and something that we can learn from happened in this house. And I want to look at, those, look at this passage this morning, these, just these few verses, and pray that God's spirit would bring it alive to our hearts. Would anyone say amen? That he would challenge us, that we would walk out the door with it, slightly different mindset, maybe a different heart and a different view of what God can do. Amen? Okay. I'm going to kick off by going straight into the crowd at Capernaum. 
There was a big crowd of following Jesus. Jesus, at this stage in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, and this is a story that's recorded in Matthew, in Luke, and in Mark. It's there in three of the four Gospels. The people are beginning to follow him in their droves because he's doing things that they'd never seen happen before. He was walking in an authority that they had never seen or ever experienced before. He was healing the sick. He was delivering people who were demon-possessed. And he was teaching stuff with an insight and understanding and authority that they had never heard before. Jesus, in some senses at this point, is becoming a traveling preacher celebrity. He's the celebrity rabbi at this stage in his ministry. And it's curious, if you follow the course of Jesus' ministry, whatever goes up must come down. So Jesus, at this point, is a celebrity, and he's amazing. But you know how it works out in the end. He doesn't turn out to be a celebrity so much, but be the hokey. As my old grandfather would have said, he's a celebrity now. Would anyone say amen? amen? So here's the story. There's a huge crowd gathered, and I just love the simplicity of this story. A few days later, when Jesus again entered the town of Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Huge crowd gathers. You go there, all the neighborhood are there. Matthias is there and Elizabeth is there and all, the, all your relatives are there and all the people in the town because they live a relatively easygoing life in some senses. They're not under the clock like we are. Have time to go and hear this traveling preacher. And the place is thronged with people. Now, it does, I don't know what size this house was. The scripture doesn't commentate on what size the house was. But you're definitely looking at a crowd of several hundred people at least, maybe even as many as a thousand people had gathered to hear Jesus. And it was a really eclectic mix of people. You had his disciples who were there, the people who were already kind of committed to him and following him. And then you had the curious and the interested, just locals who kind of heard that there was a bit of a gig going on and showed up at the party. And then you had the teachers of the law, the people who were watching Jesus every move to see what he would say to try and catch him if that was possible. And then you had the people who had genuine needs who would come with their needs to Jesus. Jesus was continually responding to people's needs. Jesus knew that ministry above all else was personal. That where people were at is where he needed to be. And he wanted to set them free and he did that so often. So you have this eclectic mix of a crowd. Some of them are on their tiptoes trying to hear. Some of them are cleaning out their ears. Other ones are going over every word he says and sifting to compare it to what the Old Testament scriptures would say. And that's the, that's the context into which the next event happens. And you'll probably know what the next event is. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now, I want us for a second to get our heads into what it was like for these guys to arrive. 
So they arrive carrying this man on a mat. You know, it, was it their friend? Was it their relative? We don't know. They arrive with this man. The bottom line is they know that Jesus has the power to heal him. So they're there in faith. A bit like you come to church in faith. You show up at prayer in faith. You respond to the call in faith. And so they show up and they bring this guy along, right? And they're, they're, they're carried by four of them. And when they arrive, there's a big crowd stopping them. There is no way into the building. No, no, you, you think to yourself, hang on a second, wouldn't they just go up and say, sorry, excuse me there, sorry, if you don't mind, if you don't mind, if you could get through there. I mean, if they were Irish, they would have gone, I'm really sorry, no, I'm really sorry, but would you mind if we got through there? We have uh, um, Matthias, poor old Matthias, if there's a Matthias out there, forgive me, and uh, poor old Matthias, he's getting carried in and he's, he's lying on the stretcher and they carry, they, they could have carried him in, shoved the crowd out of the way, but some bright spark said, we're not going to get in here because there's too many people in the way. So what, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go through the roof. And somebody said, what? We're going to go down through the roof. And another one said, what? He said, yeah, if, if we get them up onto the roof, we can get them down through the roof. Now, here's the problem with this. And here's my suggestion to you. These guys, if they were modern Christians, wouldn't dream of doing this. They wouldn't dream of it. You see... The, the idea of smashing a hole in somebody's roof is just beyond the pale for a Christian, really, isn't it? I mean, you're like, it's not like it's even your own roof. Like, I mean, if I want to get somebody into my house and I smash a hole in my roof, people will go, Michael O'Donovan, he's gone nuts. He made a hole in his own roof. But how's about you going to your next door neighbor and knocking on their door and saying, do you mind if I get up on the roof and make a hole in it so I can drop somebody down to the ground floor? What? You're a Christian. Oh, I know I'm a Christian, but this is really important to me. You see, the idea, you see, the, the, these guys come along and basically what they've got is an unstoppable faith. That's the truth of it. They're unstoppable. One of these guys, I don't know that it's all four of them, but one of them definitely has unstoppable faith. And we have this idea in our heads that an unstoppable faith is one that kind of fights off great armies or resists amazing temptation or incredible persecution or does amazing miracles. But you know what? Unstoppable faith is a really natural thing. The beauty of this story is that it could have been any of us in this situation. It's not some amazing outlandish idea. You get to a place, the crowd is too big, so you have to find another way in. How unstoppable is your faith? Because, you know, for many of us, once we see the crowd, we turn back. Nah, there's not enough room for me. Psychologists say that in terms of gathering crowds together, that when a room is considered to be 80% full, it is psychologically full. So this room is probably about 80% full at the moment, so psychologically, it's considered to be full. So the question that people ask when they arrive at a crowd is, do I fit in? And is there room for me? Hallelujah, there's always room. Amen. Would anyone say amen? Amen. But the question is, do we have an unstoppable faith? What is it that would stop us from getting to Jesus? You see, these guys were going to get to Jesus. And there was nobody going to stop them. I'd love to have seen the expressions on their faces. I'd love to have seen the, 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 their attitude. And I'd like to have seen the faces of the people around them as they climbed up on the roof. And people said, what are you doing? Taking them up there for a suntan? No, we're taking them up and making a hole. And now put yourself inside the room. It's not a big room. It's a very old house probably. You know, there's just plaster, mud plaster on the walls. It's not a very luxurious place. There might be an old mosaic if they had a few bob. 
But as Jesus is preaching and saying to them, consider the birds of the air that don't sow nor reap nor stow away into barns. Next thing, a bit of the plaster falls off the ceiling. And there's a banging up above. And Jesus doesn't say, excuse me now, I've been preparing this for weeks. Would you mind? Please stop. And as he's preaching, bits of dust fall onto the top of Jesus' head. This has got to be how it is, because it says that they lowered him down. They went up and they lowered him down right over Jesus. They dug a hole in the roof over Jesus' head. And dug literally means that they smashed a hole. The roof was made of like um, beams of timber or stri- strips and branches coated with mud. And that's how they would have made the roofs. And as he's preaching, bits of dust are bouncing off his head. And bits of plaster are falling down. And people are standing back and there's a racket. And then, of course, you've got to think, how long did it take them to do this? This must have gone on for a few minutes. So eventually, there's a hole, a small hole. And then the hole is made slightly bigger. And then it's made slightly bigger. And all this time, Jesus is still speaking. And he's still talking to them. And people are looking up at what's going on. And then they begin to lower down poor old Matthias down on the ropes, down into the roof. Like, what is it about these people That they were just not going to take no for an answer. Because sometimes we take no for an answer. How many of us, I include myself, would have arrived at this situation and said, you know what, we'll just have to wait outside. Or we might have to just ask people to get out of the way. How many of us would have said, absolutely not, I'm going to make a hole in the roof. How many of us would have said that? And one of us would have thought, do you know what? A Christian can't make a hole in his neighbor's roof. Love your neighbor as yourself. Make a hole in his roof. No, it doesn't add up. It doesn't work. But they were unstoppable. And their determination to get this man to Jesus was absolutely unstoppable. What's blocking your way of getting to Jesus? Because every one of us has something blocking the way of us getting to Jesus. Every one of us. Every one of us, maybe it's the crowd. What would people think of me? Maybe it's distractions. There's just too much else going on in my life. I've got wives or children or responsibilities or work or something else important like Netflix or something else that's just stopping me from getting to Jesus. What's stopping you? Wouldn't it be great to have unstoppable faith? Wouldn't it be great to say, absolutely no way am I going to stop? Absolutely no way. I love when when Jesus spoke, he said this about the kingdom of God. He said, from the time of John the baptizer until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And forceful people have been seizing it. Forceful people have been seizing it. Not people who go, oh no, I'm far too nice now to do that. No, people who are just far too nice to take hold of the kingdom of God. No, it doesn't mean that Christians have to be full of grunt and grit and grime. But it does mean that we have to have a determination to follow Jesus and to be with him. We have to have a determination to see the kingdom of God be established in our lives and in our hearts. And in the lives and in the hearts of other people. And these people go forward. I love this idea of these forceful men advancing in the kingdom of God. When you look in the Old Testament, there's some of these guys were pretty forceful. I mean, the likes of Abraham was used to fighting war with swords. David fought with swords. I mean, these were serious guys. These committed, these, these, these believers in God were very forceful people. They didn't hang back when it came to their commitment to God. Neither did these guys. You see, every one of us has something that holds us back from Getting to Jesus. What is holding you back? I love what this guy says. 
This is Nick Vujicic. Anybody come across Nick Vujicic before? Nick Vujicic. What an incredible, incredible story Nick Vujicic tells. He was born with no arms and no legs. And he is the most incredible Christian and evangelist. He is just a fantastic example. When I look at Nick Vujicic, just even looking at the picture of him, I say, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? He is a picture of attitude. But he says something very interesting in one of his books, a book incidentally called Unstoppable. He says this, having faith and beliefs and convictions is a great thing, but your life is measured by the actions you take based upon them. I love the Lord. Isn't that great? Now, how is that going to translate into your life? How is that going to become an action? For these guys, they knew that Jesus was the answer and they took action. They hammered a hole in their neighbor's roof and brought the man to Jesus. And their faith was on display. It was visible. It was seeable. For everyone to see. And they didn't have to open their mouths. No word is recorded by these men who did this. Nothing. Nothing is recorded of what they looked like, where they were from, what their names were, what they said. Nothing is recorded about them. All that is needed to be known about them was visible in their lives. Hallelujah. I love the next passage. Jesus standing there covered in dust and dirt and grime with a pile of rubble on the floor and a crowd having fallen silent around him, it says this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, my son, your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, my son, your sins are forgiven. First of all, he saw their faith. It was visible. He sees them. When you act in faith, hallelujah, Jesus sees it. When you act in faith, God sees it. Don't ever wonder, does God see what's going on in your life? He sees everything that happens in your life. And we can say amen or amen if we want to, because he sees everything. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? And it says that he said to the paralyzed man, my son, your sins are forgiven. And I've often thought that here's the fellas up on the roof having lowered him down, And they're looking down and they say, he said his sins are forgiven. Come here, that's great. What about his legs? His legs, they're not working. Why is he on the mat? I can imagine poor old Matthias lying there. But you know something? In the Jewish mindset, they would have thought that the reason why he was paralyzed was because of his sins. That's what they would have thought. So for Jesus to say to him, your sins are forgiven was a very important first step to him being healed. If you look at John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 4, look at John's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 2, you'll see two accounts, where one where the disciples say to Jesus, who was born, who was sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him or his parents? And Jesus said, neither, he was born that way for the glory of God. And in another situation, another situation, Jesus heals a paralyzed man and says to him, now go and sin no more, lest worse happens to you. The Jewish mindset had it that sin was probably the cause of this man's paralysis anyway. But I have news for all of us, brothers and sisters. Sin is the cause of all of our paralysis. We are all that paralyzed man on that mat. None of us is living as we ought to be. Every one of us has something in our lives that is paralyzed. Every last one of them. 
And Jesus looks at him in love. He doesn't treat him as a commodity. He takes it in personally. My son. He speaks a term of endearment to him. My son. Your sins are forgiven. And he respects him. And he gives him dignity. Because he doesn't say, do you know that time that you called your one or whatever, you, that's forgiven. And do you know that time that you committed adultery, that's forgiven. And that time that you stole, that, that's it. No, he just said, your sins are forgiven. And why were his sins forgiven? Because he had faith to come to Jesus. That's why his sins were forgiven. I love what Warren Wearsby, a Christian commentator, says about forgiveness. Fabulous line. He says, forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price, Jesus himself. It brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. There are people here this morning in this room and you desperately need God's forgiveness. You desperately need God's forgiveness this morning. You've come in here and you've got a burden on your soul and you desperately need to know God's forgiveness. We're going to be looking a lot more at forgiveness at night church and on Tuesday. We're going to be looking into it in a bit more depth. But I know there are people here this morning and you know you've been carrying a burden for your life. Today, you can have that burden lifted and experience the forgiveness of God. Would anyone else say amen? amen? Have faith. Have faith. But of course, Jesus never says anything but that the Pharisees aren't watching him. And then of course, there's the response. What you might call the Cork response. Or maybe it's the Irish response. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What's he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. I, I mean, if he was in Ireland, they'd be saying, Who does your man think he is? He's he forgiving sins like, Only God can forgive sins by, don't forget about it. Can I give you a piece of advice if you're not from Ireland and you're dealing with the Irish? Never compliment yourself, Okay? So like if you're from America, I've met people from America, and forgive me, this is a slight digression, but it is an important cultural lesson, okay? I've met people from America say, hi, my name is Bob, and I'm really good at math. Like in Ireland, nobody says, how's it going, I'm jelly, and I'm very good at maths. Nobody would ever say that in Ireland. Never would anybody say it, you know? Nobody would come along and say, you know, I'm a really gifted guy, I'm just one of those natural born leader types, you know? <laughs> and the Irish are standing there going, you are all right, but you think you're great. One big mistake is to blow your own horn in Ireland. Nobody will accept it over here. You will be chopped out. Your legs will come out under here faster than you can say Jack Sprat. Your legs will be gone out from you. The other mistake you can make as an Irish person is this. Never accept a compliment. Do not accept a compliment. Because that is just death to the Irish. So if an Irish person comes up and says, come here, you're looking very good today. Never go, hey, thank you, man. I feel great. No, 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 don't do it. You go, what? Me? Oh, no, I look like an awful haystack. Look at the condition of me. Or they say, come here, that shirt is lovely. And you say, oh, this shirt, oh, it only cost me a fiver and TK Maxx. I got them at the bottom of the basket. What an awful rag of a thing this is. That's what you've got to say. The Irish... Impervious to psychoanalysis, according to Sigmund Freud. You can't get to the bottom of us. And so these, Albert Casey, be quiet down the back row. And so, these guys look at him and they say, 
Who does your man think he is? Do you know something? Has it ever, I bet you it's happened to you as a Christian. If you ever out yourself as a Christian, somebody go, oh, you're a Christian, are you? All right, yeah. You're some Christian you are. And especially your family. Your family will just love you for that, like, you know. I can feel the wave around the room. Yes, you're feeling that. You see, people will, the minute you declare yourself as something, people will be immediately in to undermine who you are. Lads, don't keep a rise on people. Would anyone say amen? Don't be worrying about what the crowd think of you. Worry about what Jesus thinks about you. Amen? And don't be boasting about how good you are at maths. It's a disaster. So they say, who does this fellow think he is? Only God can forgive sins. When you think about it, what Jesus said was pretty incendiary. Can you imagine if you came up to me after church and you heard that Michael is out the back and he's forgiven sins? You go, who does Michael think he is? Only Tom can forgive sins. (laughs) You'd kind of be a little bit kind of concerned, wouldn't you? And I love what Jesus says. I'll tell you something interesting, what happens here. Look, you know what happens, and I'll get to that in a second. And I love what Jesus responds to them. It says this, Jesus immediately knew what they were thinking. Isn't it great when somebody just reads your mind? Isn't it always so comforting when somebody knows exactly what you're thinking? He knew what they were thinking. They didn't have to say it. No, did he know what they were thinking because it was written all over their faces and they were like, (sighs) or could he actually read their minds? I think it's probably because what was written on their faces, myself, but there you go. But you know something? Have you ever prayed silently? Have you ever prayed without opening your mouth? Does God hear your prayer? He knows what you're thinking. Hallelujah. Oh, no. He knows what you're thinking. And he knew what they were thinking. And so he said to them, why do you question this in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven... Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Which is easier to say? And the answer is really simple. The answer is, your sins are forgiven. Because if you say your sins are forgiven, nobody can see if his sins are forgiven. And nobody sees the eraser running over the blackboard in heaven, wiping off his sins. It's much easier to say, get up, or much easier to say, your sins are forgiven. Because nobody can prove whether his sins are forgiven or not. It's much harder to say, get up. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And you see, for all of us, we would love to have the ability to say to a paralyzed person who's in front of us, get up, take up your mat, and walk. Now, I've never personally done it. I've prayed for people, people have been healed, but then I pray for a lot of people. So the more people you pray for, the more likely it is that some of them are going to get healed. Hallelujah. Can I just encourage you? Just keep on praying for people to be healed. Because the more you pray for, the more likely you are to see a healing. Amen? But I don't have the authority to turn to someone, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. I don't have that authority. But you know what authority I do have? I have the authority to say your sins are forgiven. For the people who sin against me. I have that authority. That's given to me. In actual fact, if I don't exercise that authority, the consequences for my life and my soul are pretty dire. And that's the truth of it. And we're going to look much more closely at that. We're going to look much more closely. If you ever wonder to yourself, what authority and what power do I have? Why don't I walk in this or walk in that? You can walk in forgiveness all 
of the time. Hallelujah. And of course, the Pharisees get their answer. And Jesus says to him, Oops, what happened to my previous slide? Oh, my scripture's gone. Okay, which is easy. Anyway, he says, And so I will show you that I have authority to forgive. The, it's not coming up. I don't know why the animation seems to disappear. I can read it off the back screen. Can I go back a small bit? So I will prove to you, Jesus said, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, what was he doing? He was asking this man to do something he had never done before. Stand up and walk. Clearly understood from the other gospels that this man had been paralyzed since birth. His legs had never done a skiffle. He'd never danced. He'd never walked. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And the guy, for, forgive me lads, but the guy is lying there, right? I hope you can still see me on the camera. The guy is lying there and Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And poor Matthias sits up and he looks down at his legs that aren't working. And something begins to happen inside him. And he says, you know what? If Jesus says, I can walk, then I can walk. If the teacher says, I can walk, I can walk. And he feels the energy beginning to flow into the lower part of his body like he's never felt before. And he begins to lift a leg. And he gets it just about in position underneath him. And then he gets the other one. And he gets it in position. And the crowd are gasping for breath. That's your boy. <laughs> the crowd are gasping for breath. I see I can walk. It's not very impressive. But it, it, he, as he begins to help himself up. And somebody goes to help and he says, no, 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 I, I, I can do this. And up gets Matthias, bends legs and uses muscles he has never used before. Telling him to stand up and walk was a bit like telling you to get up and fly. You've never done it before. And this man gets up and he walks. And the Pharisees who are there going, who does your man think he is, are looking at this. And they, I guarantee you, are slack-jawed. <gasps> looking at this man getting up off the ground. And of course, immediately, do you know what happens? Their hearts, because they're cold-hearted people, they go, ah, this is a trick. This is an old ploy. Here they'll have to pay Matthias to lay down on the mat. And then he'll get up when Jesus gives him the command. It's all an old cod. Brothers and sisters, it's not all an old cod. Jesus is still changing lives and still healing people today. And if you're sitting here thinking, do you know what? It is all an old cod and it doesn't work. Hallelujah, it does work. The scripture records, the man jumped up, hallelujah. His legs didn't work and now he's jumping. Picked up his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, explaining, we've never seen anything like this before. Let me make one other point about this situation. What Jesus did for the man was he forgave his sins. We all need forgiveness. What he then did was he healed the man. And he said, no, I want you to get up, pick up your mat and walk. But what Jesus didn't do for the man was pick up his mat for him. He didn't 
throw out the hand and say, come on out, up you, and, and kind of help him out the door. He didn't. He said, I want you to get up and stand. I want you to pick up your mat. Brothers and sisters, when God calls us to a new life, he gives us responsibility and he gives us authority over our own life and says, no, I want you to pick up your mat and walk. This is not all going to be as someone else is going to carry around. This is not always going to be, well, I'm always going to be handing it over. This is when you get up and you take responsibility and declare what God has done in your life and you walk out the door yourself. Remember, brothers and sisters, as Nick Voichet said earlier, it is great to have faith and it's great to have beliefs, but your life will be measured by the action you take based on your faith we have to grow up take responsibility and begin to act out our faith in physical action would anyone say amen I love the way it records in Matthew's gospel when the crowd saw this they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man wow what authority he not only could speak forgiveness, but he could heal. Now, when we read this story, and as much as I've drawn out the story, perhaps a little bit, there's something very important to remember about this story. This story is not about healing. This story is not about people making a hole in the roof. It's not about the guys who helped the man. It's not even about the man. The story isn't about the Pharisees, nor the crowd. The story is about Jesus. That's what this story is about. It's about the authority and the person who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And if Jesus is who he said he was, and if we believe in the Jesus who is who he said he was, and I know the vast majority of us here do, then I can suggest to you we should have an unstoppable faith. Unstoppable stoppable faith. I would like to pray. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Will you stand with me for a second, guys? We're going to pray. I want to apply two things out of this message. I can hand you back over at Cafe Church. God bless you guys. I want to apply two things in this message. The first of all is this. All of us are like that paralyzed man. All of us are like that man on that mat. There's some area of our lives that is paralyzed. Some part of our lives that's paralyzed with fear. It's paralyzed with indecision. It's paralyzed as a result of bad experiences. It's paralyzed maybe because of bad relationships. But there's a paralysis in all of our lives. Can we close our eyes for a second? If you recognize this morning, Lord, I recognize there's a paralysis in my life, in this area in my life. I recognize, Lord, that I, I can be at times paralyzed by fear, paralyzed by past experiences. Lord, I can be paralyzed by indecision, paralyzed by bad relationships. Lord, I'm going to ask you this morning, would you heal my paralysis today? If that's your prayer, would you raise your hand? I see your hands. We're going to pray in just a moment. The guys are going to leave us. The second prayer I want to pray is this. For some of us here this morning, when we read accounts like this and we see how these people responded to Jesus, for me, it says, Lord, I want to have unstoppable faith. I want to have the kind of faith that's willing to make a hole in my neighbor's roof. Would anyone say amen? Who here would say, Lord, I want to have that unstoppable faith? Will you fill me with that unstoppable faith? Will you raise your hand? 
we're going to sing. I'm going to invite you to come to the front in a second. We're going to pray together. And I tell you why we're going to invite you to the front. Do you know what it takes faith? It takes faith to admit that we need God. It takes faith. It takes faith to say, Lord, I accept and I need and I acknowledge I need your help. It takes faith to raise a hand in prayer. It takes faith maybe to walk up here to the front and say, Lord, I'm putting myself out here. That is a step of faith. So when I invite you to the front to pray, it's not about some show. It's not about some come to me. It's about an act of faith, a stepping out and saying, Lord, I acknowledge I need you and I want you to move in my life today. That's all we're saying when we step forward. We're going to sing a verse from the song, My Hope Is You, which we sang early in the worship. And I'm going to invite you, if you want to take that step of faith for the healing of that paralysis or for that unstoppable faith, I'm going to ask you to come forward. No. In Jesus' name. Do you Lord, I lift my soul. I'm not going to ask you what it is. You know what it is. If your prayer this morning is for a paralysis you see in your life. And we're going to pray in a second. We're going to, as it were, lay ourselves down before Jesus. Not physically, but we're going to lay ourselves down metaphorically before Jesus. And ask for his healing hand to move over us. If paralysis is your prayer this morning, will you raise your hands before heaven and lift that issue before the Lord. You know what it is, whether it is indecision or bad experiences or bad relationships and somehow it has a freezing effect on the way, it has a way of making you not function in the way God intends you to function and to live and to behave. That's our prayer this morning. Lord, we come before you this morning by faith. Would anyone say amen? Lord, we're not coming before you because we see an amazing outcome. We come before you this morning by faith and we acknowledge we need you, Jesus Christ. We need you this morning. Lord, our prayer this morning is for the paralysis that we recognize in our lives, Lord. Some of us here are paralyzed with fear. Lord, I pray that the faith that is growing within us would overcome that fear in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that we would listen to the voice of God much more than the voice of our fears, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would see the proportion of God in relation to our fears rather than the proportion of our fears in relation to God. Lord, I pray we would recognize you as the maker of heaven and of earth, the one who knows every thought and every word and every thought and every word and reflection that's in our hearts, Lord. We bring that before you this morning. Lord, would you move by your healing power in our hearts and in our minds this morning, Lord. Lord, I pray for those who are paralyzed with indecision this morning. Cannot make up their minds. Lord, I pray that your wisdom would become apparent to them, Lord Jesus. I pray a deep sense of faith to make a call and trust God for the future would be their reality today, Lord. I pray specifically 
for those who are in a state of indecision will I follow Jesus won't I follow Jesus should I should I not follow Jesus I pray this morning that decisions that change lives would be made in this room this morning would anyone say amen decisions to follow Jesus no turning back Lord Lord I pray against Lord those of us who are frozen by past experiences things we did didn't do should have done shouldn't have done Lord, I pray against that paralysis this morning, Lord. I pray that your forgiving power would be at work in our lives, Lord. I pray your healing power will be at work in our memories and in our hearts and our emotions, Lord. That we might be set free in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for us all for unstoppable faith, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just be polite, nice Christians. Lord, but we would be unstoppable believers in the risen Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would accept that your purpose and your plans are the right way for us to go, Lord Jesus. That we would let nothing stop us coming to you, Lord. Lord, we wouldn't let the crowd stop us, our employer stop us, our relatives stop us, our distractions and our hobbies stop us, Lord. But we would have an unstoppable faith, Lord. Lord, I pray as we go out the door today, as we go out the door today, can we all raise our hands as we're closing in prayer? As we go out the door today, Lord Jesus, and this is my closing prayer, Lord, that we would truly be unstoppable in our view of you. Lord, I pray that this week doors would open that we would never expect to open. I pray, Lord, blessings would fall upon our lives that we never expected, Lord. I pray, Lord, a power and a strength of perseverance would emerge in our lives that we never thought was in us, Lord. I pray, Lord, an unstoppable belief and faith to fall upon our hearts, souls, and lives. Upon our homes and our workplaces, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name and God's people said, Amen. Let's walk by faith this week, brothers and sisters, not by sight. Let's keep trusting in our great God and keep holding on to him with unstoppable faith in Jesus' name. The guys are going to play us out, lads. We're serving tea and coffee upstairs in the atrium. If you're a visitor, please take the chance to say hi to us before you go. May God bless you and go.